Welcome once again to the Washington Our Home Podcast. You're here because you're a fan of history, heritage, and culture, and this is a great place to get it. I'm your fearless field guide, Eric Ebel, and today we'll be taking a trip to the very end of Washington State Route 506 to a tiny, well-kept community that bills itself as the town with two histories, and both of them are pretty darned amazing. Heard of Ryder Wood, Washington? Well, neither had I until I was approached by a representative of their historical society, and the story she told me had me fascinated. I decided I had to visit to learn more. For longtime listeners, this podcast may be a little different in that I have interview audio from a number of folks who call Riderwood home, so I'll be sprinkling that into this episode where appropriate. Hopefully it'll break up the monotony of my dynamic yet unchanging voice most of you are accustomed to, and we'll have some trivia questions in this episode as well, so get ready to test your Washington State knowledge in the next half hour or so. Let's first take a look at where exactly Riderwood is located. It's about halfway between Centralia and Longview in western Washington, just a bit west of the I-5 corridor. A Google satellite map of the area shows a small brownish patch at the top of Cowlitz County, just below the Lewis County line, surrounded on three of four sides by inches and inches of deep green forests. In fact, as I learned, that's exactly why Riderwood was created there in the first place, for the timber. And you'll notice I said created. See, unlike other Washington towns that grew out of an old homestead site or a fur trading fort, a donation land claim, or some other more traditional method, Riderwood was just one of two planned communities established in 1923 by the Long Bell Lumber Company. Sissy Sanders is one of the town's historians. Riderwood has two histories. Uh, originated in 1923 by the Long Bell Lumber Company and they were in business until 1953, so it was the first logging town built for loggers and their families. This has got such a unique history. Um, it's a special little corner of the world here. I mean, it's tucked away in, some call it the village in the woods. Um, you know, it's, um, <laughs> people they hear about it and they come in, well, it's a real town. <laughs> she moved to Riderwood in 2014 and fell in love with the place. June Strovas, on the other hand, grew up in Riderwood. The logging community was a, a first of its kind. It had never been done before. Uh, there are logging communities that are older than Riderwood, but they were a descendant of a railroad community or an Indian community or some other or you know group that came and went, and then the logging came in, so those communities grew up. But Riderwood was created out of the woods and it was specifically used for a, a certain purpose, and that was specific, and it's, it's one of a kind. That specific purpose was to supply timber to the Long Bell Lumber Mill in Longview, the state's other planned community. During World War I, Kansas City timber magnate R.A. Long realized he was running out of resources to keep the company going, so he started scouting locations from California to British Columbia and found Kelso, which had the resources, the river, and the railroad. But it was already established, and Long didn't want another squalid, sprawling mill town to develop at his new site. So he planned the community of Longview, built his own railroad, the LPNN, short for Longview, Portland, and Northern, straight to where the best old-growth timber grew, and then established Riderwood. 
Now, Riderwood was named for W.F. Uncle Bill Ryder, a logging operations manager also known as a timber cruiser for Long Bell, who came to the Northwest to locate a timber source for the company. The name of the logging town was chosen personally by Long to honor this veteran employee. Ryder was accompanied to on his journey to the Riderwood area by Wesley Vandercook, chief engineer for Long Bell, who led the 100-man crew that surveyed the area. Well, I was born in 1942 here in the first aid station, which is now called Pioneer Hall, uh, along with hundreds of other babies born to logger families during those logging years. Bill Greer is another longtime local with stories to tell about Riderwood's early days. My dad had come here in 1934 at 19 years of age and he was starting out a, cho a choker setter and 20 years later he, re he finished with the rest of the loggers the logging that was needed and he was working as a head loader but he was asked to stay here and become the tree farm warden. And he did that for another 20 years until he retired in 1974. So there was a family presence here throughout all those years and I took advantage of it as much as I could. I used to be able to ride with the log truck drivers out in the woods and uh, see the operations and uh, realize what was going on out there. Jean DeBry, sometimes known by her musical moniker Sally Jean, is another Riderwood resident with stories to share. She moved there with her family in 1942, just after the outbreak of World War II. So here we are, mom and dad and us four kids. My little brother was just two, and uh, in this homemade trailer that had all our belongings in it, pulled into Riderwood. I remember the day we pulled into Riderwood and drove up to the pay window and... and uh, I, just, I always, I'm, I marveled at the wooden sidewalks <laughs> that are still there. <laughs> they were looking for work and picked up the Seattle Times paper, and it said, Riderwood needs loggers. And they gave us a house to live in, which I showed you in that picture. Uh, it was next door to the one I'm living in now, where we first lived. There was nothing in it, no cupboards, no nothing. We all slept on the floor. <laughs> this was in November, I remember. And... Uh, Gave us that little house to live in, and I remember Daddy getting up and going to work, and one month later, the 18th of December, he was killed out here in the woods. 29 years old, Harry Goff. The way it was explained to me, there's a coal deck where they pile up the logs, and uh, then they have a big machine with a clamp on it and a cable that picks them off and puts them on the trucks or the train, because the train went all around here at that time. And uh, whoever was putting the clamps on that log didn't put it on the one on the top. He put it on one that was down in the stack. So when that cable pulled that log out, all the logs went rolling down the mountainside. Everybody ran from him, but he just got caught by one of them. Rolled over him, yep. So there was mom and us four little babies. They let us stay for some reason. A lot of times when that happened, uh, they had the you know families had to leave here, but for some reason they let us stay. Stories like Jean's are unfortunately not uncommon for the children of Long Bell's loggers, as June Strovas can attest. We had all the accidents and, and uh, uh, deaths and things that other communities did, but we, they were handled very, very quickly and swiftly and by the local people, and kept, they kept everybody in line. When I was born in 1936, I was born in Skidshack, and my brother was born here in 1938. And uh, in and out of Riderwood for the next 30 years, a couple of different reasons, 
and uh, we ended up coming back in 1948 after my father, our father, was uh, uh, returned from the military. He had been, spent a couple of years in the Philippines, and it took about a year after he came back for him to get back on the payroll because of, they were taking him in line, putting him back on as soon as possible. And in 1948, August of 1948, we came back, and he became head scaler for the Long Bell. Our dad was one of the most honest people I think, in, that walked on this earth, and he was well-liked. And guys were very happy that he was back scaling the logs, and he did until he closed the camp. Let's brighten things up for a minute by introducing this month's trivia questions. They're going to be logging-themed, given today's topic. Here's how it works. I'll ask a few questions about Washington state history, maybe sprinkle in a clue or two, and you guess the answers. Then, find out if you were right at the end of the episode. So here's question number one. When Camp Grisdale near Shelton, Washington closed in 1986, what distinction did it hold? Now remember, these are logging-themed questions, so that's a little bit of a pretty big clue there, but if you want to get specific, tell me exactly what distinction Camp Grisdale held when it closed in 1986. Question two, this one's an easy one. What's the Washington State gem? Hmm, and what does that have to do with logging? Question three, what trees were rigorously harvested from Washington State during World War I, and why? That is a good story, and if you don't know it, at the end of this podcast you will, and then you can impress your friends at parties. Question four, at 178 feet tall and 61 feet in diameter, where is the world's largest western red cedar? Now, we are looking for the town closest to its location. Obviously, it's not in downtown anywhere. And question five. Where can 60 acres of one of the last coastal stands of old-growth forest in southwest Washington be found? These are the trees that Long Bell's timber cruisers didn't find, fortunately, and they still exist today. They're protected. 60 acres of the last coastal stands of old-growth forest in southwest Washington. Think you know the answer? Keep listening until the end of the podcast to hear the episode and see how well you did. Now, in the words of the late, great Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. During the war, many of the area's young men left to serve their country, forcing Long Bell to backfill his workforce from an unlikely source, men from the Appalachian Mountains of North Carolina. Landon Cothran's family brought him to Riderwood when he was just a baby. So they got my dad to go back to North Carolina and bring out loggers to work here. This is in 45 and 46. And the town was really, really booming then. We had a, a school that went from the first grade to the 12th grade. And we had a uh, nice post office. We had a nice grocery store. They had a uh, theater. They had a barber shop. They had a community hall and also a pool hall. Uh, had a baseball field, had a uh, football field, and uh, we had a hospital. It was a first aid station, which sits right down there. And we had a stagecoach line here. There was two stagecoaches that ran from here. They'd take you into Vader, 
and to Winlock and Shayla Century and Longview. Despite growing up in a rough-and-tumble logging camp, Jean DeBry remembers it being a close-knit town with friendly neighbors. We knew everybody in town. We could roam around town. It wasn't, wasn't a problem. 10 o'clock at night, we could still be out. Mom would step out and whistle like she could. When we heard that whistle, we knew it was time to come home. <laughs> We'd come home at noon. Mom would have the washing done, and she'd have a tub full of clothes ready to hang out. And Sister and I'd come home at lunchtime and take those clothes and hang them on the lines out back. You know, it was wonderful, wonderful way to grow up. Until one day in 1952, when all that changed. The prospects of the Long Bell Lumber Company, a thriving national business that had literally built two Washington towns out of nothing, that served as a pillar of southwestern Washington life for so long people couldn't imagine what life would be like without it, the economic driver upon which thousands had depended for food, water, and shelter for their families had unthinkably begun to waver. Instead of the 80 to 100 years that was initially planned, it took 30 years. Technology advanced things, and um, by the time the Depression rolled around in the early 30s, when they were reduced to half the number of loggers who started, the loggers who started the project, their logging, numbered 800. And there were 100 support people here working in the town to support their town life. When the Depression hit, that number dropped in half to around 400 to 450. They carried on with the logging with chainsaws and bulldozers that weren't there at the start. That shortened the time span considerably. You see, when Long Bell moved in, business was done with steam locomotives, donkey engines, and trees were felled by the muscle and sweat of hundreds of men swinging hand-sharpened double-bit axes deep in the Washington woods. By the time Long Bell moved out, the Bulgines were replaced by diesels, then trucks, and half as many men were left with tools powered by gasoline instead of elbow grease. It was only a matter of time before Riderwood was left without a purpose as well. And then in 1953, pretty much the loggers and the logs were gone, and they were in the process of sort of tearing the place down when um, an innovative investor, real estate investor, said, hmm. I bet we can buy that whole town and make it into a retirement community. So that's exactly what they did. And thus began the second chapter of Riderwood's history. Senior Estates Incorporated and Hacienda Estates jointly purchased the town and within three years had sold off the last of Riderwood's 185 residences to folks age 55 and older, creating one of the first such retirement communities in the country. Riderwoods remained a 55 and older community ever since, and even though senior estates and hacienda have been replaced by the Riderwood Improvement and Service Association governing the town, residents of Riderwood still enjoy their peaceful, hidden community. The people who come here to visit, they see a, a well-tended town. They see people who, for the most part, are happy to be here. They see a high level of community spirit and volunteer spirit. And all that was here in the earlier history as well as the current one. It's a little peaceful place in the, the end of the road to live. And uh, 
He can't beat it. That's it for Riderwood, the town with two histories. I hope you enjoyed learning about this little out-of-the-way gem in southwestern Washington. Please do me a favor and leave a rating for this podcast. If you loved it, give it five stars on iTunes or whatever platform you're using. And if you didn't care for it, three stars. And some constructive feedback would be appreciated as well. Let's not forget the answers to this month's logging-related trivia questions. Remember those? Here are your answers. Question one was, what distinction did Camp Grisdale hold when it closed near Shelton in 1986? The answer is, it was the last residential logging camp in the entire lower 48 states. Obviously, Riderwood was at one time one of those residential logging camps, but Camp Grisdale, near Shelton, outlived them all. Question two, what is Washington State's gem? And of course, since this is a logging episode, it has to be timber-related, right? Washington State's official gem is none other than petrified wood. Petrified wood found most plentifully at the Ginkgo Petrified Forest near Vantage, Washington. I'll tell you, be glad that you weren't a logger in those days, trying to saw down petrified trees with a two-man handsaw. No wonder it was called a misery whip. Kidding, of course. Question three, what trees were rigorously harvested from Washington State during World War I, and why? Now, this is a great question, the answer to which can be found at the Washington State History Museum in Tacoma, way in the back by the shipbuilding and labor exhibits. Or you can just listen to me for the next 10 seconds. The trees harvested from Washington State exclusively for the war effort during World War I were spruce trees, and they were so chosen because the wood was used to make airplanes. Spruce was light, sturdy, and best of all, it didn't splinter when it was shot, meaning an American pilot would be more likely to survive a dogfight with the Red Baron if his plane was made of Washington State spruce. Question 4. At 178 feet tall and 61 feet in diameter, the world's largest western red cedar is closest to the home of vampire lore and mediocre 1980s Independence Day parades. Uh, that would be Forks, Washington. I spent a 4th of July there in 1982 and it rained. All day. And the fireworks were cancelled. But in their defense, maybe they've gotten better since then. I don't know. Honestly, I haven't been back. But I'm hoping to. And finally, question five. Where can 60 acres of one of the last coastal stands of old-growth forest in southwest Washington be found? The answer, of course, is Teal Slough, now protected by the Willapa National Wildlife Refuge along Highway 101 on the way to Long Beach. Those are today's trivia questions. How'd you do? Well, I would have gotten two out of five if I asked myself those questions. You can email me at eric at washingtonourhome.com. That's E-R-I-C-H at washingtonourhome.com if you liked slash hated this month's trivia. Or if you have a story you want to share about any of these places, I would love to hear from you. Be sure to subscribe for new episodes featuring stories from Washington State's history, heritage, and culture, and follow Washington Our Home on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. There's lots of great video content on YouTube, including an in-depth video about Riderwood and the folks you've heard interviewed in today's podcast. And if you're looking for scenic pictures from around the state, especially pictures comparing before and after images of Riderwood buildings that are still there, Look no further than on the Flickr and Pinterest pages. You can find all of that at the website WashingtonOurHome.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'll see you somewhere in Washington. Eric Ebel. Good day. <laughs>